0: in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest
1: When we don't even see you, you do not forsake us, Lord, because after all, you are constant. You are sovereign. You are everywhere. You are present. You are love. God, we thank you so much for just knowing because of what you did on the cross for us and how you are preparing a place in heaven for us that not for one moment do you forsake us. We are always on your mind, Lord God, and we praise you. Amen.
2: Amen. Maybe may be seated. We're so glad that you're here this morning. What a great morning of worship already. Amen? Amen? Today we have a wonderful opportunity to dedicate the babies in our church. And so our first hour, we had four families that brought their children to the Lord. And in our second service here today, we have... One family that's coming to bring their baby to the Lord. So I'm going to ask Gregory and Megan if you'll come on up. This is Gregory Kuzmerick and Megan Borneman are bringing together uh, J- uh, Yannick Kuzmerick this morning. All right, Yannick Kuzmerick, would you give them a hand this morning and welcome little Yannick to the stage?
0: We're
2: uh, we're so thankful. Yannick was born here on five eight twenty two, and uh, God has blessed you guys with a wonderful young man there to raise and to honor and to teach him how to grow in the things of God. And so today as we dedicate Yannick before the Lord, I just want to remind, uh, remind the church that this is what, this is a tradition that we find in the Bible. Jesus himself was dedicated at the temple. Um, the scriptures tell us that 40 days after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple and dedicated him to the Lord. And so we see this as a long part in the the Bible, we see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that we presented our children and we present them to the Lord. So today we're going to do two things. We're going to present Yannick before the Lord, but we're also going to present the two of you as parents before the Lord. Because parenting is not an easy job. Amen? And uh, all the parents out there said amen real loud, okay? So it's not an easy job, and the world that we're living in is not easy. And so we want to just ask God's blessing on this family this morning, and we're just so thankful that you're here today to dedicate Yannick before the Lord. But before we pray over him, I'm reminded of the verse in Scripture here. This is Psalm 139. For you formed me in my inward parts. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, yet as there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And so this morning, Yannick, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the sight of the Lord. Did you know that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting that look. Now, if he can do that for the next hour, right? You know, when he's sitting down there, and he's staring at me, right? So, Yannick, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord. And so God has his hand on every child that is born. And so we're so thankful. And uh, the Bible says the children are an inheritance from the Lord. So I want you to, today to realize that God has given you this wonderful gift of Yannick to, uh, to love. You're to love him and you're to teach him how to honor and love the Lord. And so today we're just going to pray over him and ask the Lord's blessing upon his life. One day we pray that Yannick will open up his heart as a young child and begin his journey of faith and start his own faith journey uh, to make Jesus personal Lord and Savior of his life. But we know right now that God has brought him here today, and you're doing what God said to do, to present him before the Lord. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and Church, What I want to encourage you to do is get to know these families. I'll greet them afterwards in the hallway. He sees his picture up on the screen, huh? Yeah. Is that you? Okay. <laughs> I'm getting that look again, right? So, uh, yeah, we got the screen in the back where you can see his picture there. So. We're so, we're so thankful for uh, what God is doing in these young families' lives. And uh, as we dedicate them to the Lord, I want to encourage you, the church family, to get to know these folks, get to say hi to these kids. Many of you will be teaching them downstairs in our children's classrooms. And as we do, we as your church are coming alongside to support you as mom and dad to help raise your child to honor and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Help, help your child honor and love the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are here for you as a family. That's our committed commitment to you. We're your church family, and we'll be here for you. And so now we're going to ask the Lord to do his work. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning, all right? Lord, we come before you, Lord, and we just thank you for Yannick this morning. God, you said in your word that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. God, before he was thought of, you had thought of him. God, you had a plan. You knew the day and the hour he'd be born. You knew every day that he'll live. You have the whole book written. God, we thank you for Yannick this morning. And I just pray you will put your hand upon him and just bless his life, Lord. May, may he open his heart to you at a very young age, Lord. Uh, within the first few years of him being able to understand, Lord, may you open his heart and he follow you, God. Plant the seed of the gospel inside this little guy's heart and bring him to Jesus. Open his heart that he may have a relationship with Jesus at a very young age that will protect him from a lifetime of sorrow and will give him a lifetime of direction. Lord, I thank you this morning for parents here. We lift up to you Megan and Greg this morning, Lord. And I just ask you will put your hand upon these folks, Lord, and you'll continue to move mightily in their life, and we dedicate them to you as parents, Lord. Give them the strength that they need. It, it's not an easy road parenting. It's a lot of work. But we know that you've called us to be parents. And so, God, I pray that as you've blessed them with this wonderful child, Lord, God, that you will give them uh, the heart to see for eternity and to raise their child with eternity in mind, Lord. So we thank you for what you're doing in their life today. And, God, we come before you now, and we now dedicate little Yannick before you. We give him to you, Lord, and we return thanks to you for Yannick. And we ask your blessing upon his life. We ask for your guidance. We dedicate him now to Jesus, Lord. And God, we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's thank God this morning for this family.
0: God bless you. God bless you.
2: There we go. Let's give them a hand as they return to their seats in a world that
1: feels unstable, and a time that feels tumultuous, we stop to say thank you to those who were willing to be the stability and chose to advocate for peace, who saw a vision for the country that is safe and secure, formidable and full of freedom. Thank you to each veteran who stepped into endless days and stood watch over long and dark nights, who left family and home, and sacrificed personal security to follow in the remarkable footsteps of fellow veterans who came before. When the time came and the nation needed you, you answered the call and have left your own brave imprint on this country. Thank you is never enough. But we are thankful.
3: At this time, I'd like to have all of our veterans here in the church building stand so we may honor you. And uh, all of our veterans, though, uh, some of our students are coming around. They have a gift for you. So all of our veterans, please remain standing so we may have a gift up up here, too. Good job, guys. all of our men and women who have served, we are so grateful. Please understand that this church supports our veterans, and we are so grateful for the men and women who have served. Thank you, and to you and your families as well. We are so grateful, and we honor you this morning. Well, church, it's a great day to be here, and uh, we're thankful that you're all here. And so, if you look in your bulletins, there's um, we want to encourage you take take a look um, at those bulletins because every week there's something new and. I want to encourage you as you're looking through the different things, um, just know that we pray over these events, these activities, they're meaningful. Our mission here at Crossroads is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we look at all the events that we do, sometimes it's easy just to go, hey, let's just throw a pin on on a board and see if it sticks. Um, sometimes that happens because we're trying to figure out, you know, what's going to work. But just know that there's meaning and there's a purpose behind these. And one of those is our packing party. Our packing party is going to be this Wednesday. So uh, I hope that you uh, were able to grab a few of those Operation Christmas Child boxes in the foyer and fill, and fill them up uh, by yourself or with your family. Uh, bring them back this week. Uh, and then those will get shipped out next early next week. But I also encourage you to come out on the 15th, which is Wednesday. All of our men's and women's and kids and students' uh, activities will be paused on this Wednesday, and we're all going to be in the gym at 6.30 to 8. So come on out. We're going to be packing shoeboxes as a church family. And the other thing, too, is if you would like to give uh, towards buying some of these items, you can grab an envelope uh, in front of you and just write a packing party. Or you can go online and give, and you can put in the memo online, you can put packing party. All the money that comes in, we will use that to buy uh, items so that we can pack uh, in the shoeboxes this Wednesday night at 6.30 over in the gym. So hope, hope to see you there. It's going to be a really special time as a church family. And then uh, the following week, we're going to be having our Thanksgiving Eve night of worship and communion. So this, again, is a really special time for us not just to have one more thing, but for us to pause as a church to worship the Lord Um, to be thankful and it's just a it's a it's a very specific time that we pause and we hear stories of people who have been changed by jesus which i i I can't hear enough of um so come on out and that's going to be on the 22nd and that's at 7 p.m right here in the auditorium so we're looking forward to seeing you there and then in your bulletin you got one of these handouts if you would like more of these handouts i encourage you grab some at the welcome center on your way out but here's the charge and the challenge This is a great way to invite somebody. And I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of an invite, but if someone gave it to you and they're like, here, come to this, you're like, okay. And then it usually goes somewhere that we put that makes people feel good and then we may dispose of it later. Um, But I want to encourage you, pray about somebody that you can invite to come and be with you. So think about this. If I invite you and say, hey, would you come to this? You're like, okay, think about it, whatever. But if I say, hey, would you come hang out with me and come to this concert with me, it takes a totally, it, it takes a whole different form. So that's what we want to challenge you as, as a church is for you to invite someone to come because we're going to be sharing <laughs> the greatest message is Christ. And then this group is phenomenal. Um, I encourage you to look up their YouTube videos, look them up online. They are a great entertaining show. The whole stage is going to be a full band and these guys are going to uh, have a wonderful concert. And then afterwards, there's dessert. So dessert anybody okay so on the 14th and 15th of december i encourage you invite someone to come on out and it's going to be a really great time um but uh, w- our mission like i said is to bring people into a growing relationship with jesus and one of those ways that we move towards that mission is giving uh church thank you for giving unto the lord uh, you can give online through the mail or the offering boxes here at the church um but let's pause and let's continue on in this, our service and we're just going to pray and ask god to speak to us Lord God, we, we adore you. Lord, we pause and, and thank you for, God, the opportunity that we have to gather in this building. Um, Lord, this is just another building. We could go down the road uh, to, to, to the beach house. God, we could go to the, the local schools. Uh, God, it doesn't matter where we gather. We're gathering and we are unified in Christ. Your truth ...is our sword in this life. Your truth is our standard, God, your Bible. So as we open it up this morning, would you speak to us? Would we see something, hear something, be impacted by something in your word today, God, that we've never been impacted before? It's all for your honor and your glory, Lord God. And for our men and women, our veterans here at the church, maybe those who are unable to attend, maybe some uh, participating in other activities with family God, we give thanks for our veterans, Lord, for their sacrifice, for their family sacrifice. Lord, it's it's all for you, and we worship you in Christ's name. Amen.
2: What a great weekend of worship. Amen. God is good to our church and he's been good to our church family. So we thank God for all that he's doing here at Crossroads. So I want to encourage you folks as we are heading in towards Christmas to uh, remember to look at the list for the birthday gift of Jesus. We've included the full list inside of your bulletin this week. For those of you that are new to Crossroads, I want to explain to you that every year we ask people in our church to, uh, to make Jesus a priority on your giving. At Christmas time, because many times we, get, we say Christmas is all about Jesus, and then we, we give to everybody but Jesus. So I going to encourage you to take out that list, and you can just pray over these. And so what we're doing together as a church is we are uniting together as a church, and we are going to send out these funds to all these people here. So as we raise these funds, uh, we're so thankful the last few years we've gone well over $100,000. we have given almost 150000 in the last few years. And everything that comes in over will go to these missionaries. So, if we go to 125,000, that means some of these figures just keep going up, and we help people all over the place. So, we want to thank God for this opportunity, and I want to ask you to continue to pray about your part and to begin to give. Starting next week, we'll put a thermometer up on the screen, and you'll be able to see our progress from now till the end of the year as we give to the birthday gift to Jesus fund. So, we're so thankful for that. And uh, on and I also just want to say thank you to our veterans. I know Luke's already celebrated you, but I want to say thank you. You know, I, I, uh, as you get older, you start to understand the importance of that, and you understand how important your sacrifice and your service was to us. So we thank you, the veterans in our church this morning that are here with us. Um, I'll tell you what, I was talking with one of the older guys in our church. He was in Vietnam, and he was explaining to me how that he stepped on a, an explosive device in Vietnam, and it threw him back over, and he talked about all the stuff that was in his body, all the stuff that they had to take out, and the months-long surgeries, and uh, and he talked about how that, uh, I, I noticed that he's worn hearing aids, and I said, is that where you got your hearing loss? And he says, yes. And so I want to thank God, there are many men and women in our church that have made that sacrifice to serve our country, many have, there are many purple hearts in our in our church as well. Of course, you know Eric McElvenny. We're thankful for Eric and his story that we've heard. He, he has told his story here many times, but I want to just thank God for all you men and women uh, that have served in our military again. Let's thank God one more time. We thank God for you. We appreciate your service. <clears throat> we thank God for for those that are actively serving today as well. So we thank, we're so thankful for our military. We're thankful for what God has given us. And we're thankful for these families that uh, that are able to do that and make these sacrifices. And so today, as I think of that, I'm reminded of pain. You know, when you're thinking about pain, there's a, a lot comes to your mind when it come, when you think about pain, but you typically don't think of pain as a good thing. Pain is absolutely a good thing. Pain is a messenger that demands our attention. When you get up in the middle of the night and you go go to the Restroom in the middle of the night, and you stub your toe on the, on the bedpost, right? What happens? Yeah, I hear something happens over here. The rest of you sleep through it, right? Uh, I know what happens. You say a few things. You call your family. <laughs> you call everybody, don't you? Ah! Right, because you're in pain. And so that pain is a messenger that tells you, don't do it again. That pain is a messenger that says, get this fixed. That pain tells you you've got to do something. Can you imagine not having the gift of pain? Imagine you get up and you stub that toe in the middle of the night and you don't have pain. Then you just do it again every night. Pretty soon you mutilate your foot every day, right? Um, I heard a story uh, years ago. There was a person in our church who had no sensitivity in their fingers and in their hands. Couldn't sense heat or cold. So they would had to be careful because if they touched the hot stove, they could easily burn their hands. And so I want to encourage you today in our church family that, hey, listen, there comes a time when pain is absolutely necessary. I read another story about a lady who's never had any pain. Can you imagine that? No pain ever in your life. And as she was struggling with not having any pain, she went and had a surgery She came out of the surgery, and the doctors wanted to prescribe her medicines. She never needed any of the pain medications after surgery. She's a uh, a complete wonder. They're trying to figure out what is this genetic makeup. But I want you to understand this morning that when you're in pain, pain is actually a gift. And if you're in pain, here's what happens. You could care less about the reasons for pain. You just want the pain to stop, right? When I go to the doctor and I'm in pain, what do I do? I don't go in and say, hey, doc, could you tell me the reason for the pain? I go into the doc, and say, doc, figure this out. I don't ever want to have this pain again. I've, I've tried to go to the doctor. You know, I was the guy who only went to the doctor when you had pain. So I started doing that, and my doctor finally said, uh, guess what? Mr. Barner, you're going to come in here once a year. I said, well, why would I come in here if I don't have any pain? He says, because I can look and try and find things before the pain starts. Pain is a gift. Now I go every six months. And those are just the scheduled times, right? Now I go on top of all the pain. And he checks and he checks and he checks. And it's so important that we do that. But if you're in pain, you can care less about the reasons for suffering. And you're more concerned about the resources for suffering. You're more concerned about how can I stop this pain. And this morning as a child of God, I want to remind you that there is purpose in pain. There is purpose in pain. God's truth will not make you immune to pain. It will not make you immune to problems. But it can protect you from the bullets of doubt as to the purpose and the reason for pain. When we look at life, it is so easy for us to say, Oh, I just got to get out of this pain. I got to get out of this pain. But pain and suffering are part of life, and the passage that we're going to look at today is an interesting passage, and it has quite a few um, what are known as the problem verses in it, okay? From theologically, theologians have struggled on some of the verses in it. So we are going to look at this passage today, we're going to look at those theological struggles, But that's not the purpose of the passage. The passage is talking about suffering in a greater context and how do we handle suffering? Why do we handle suffering? So let's start in 1 Peter 3 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and who is at the right hand of God with the angels, the authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, the first thing that we're going to see about this passage in. And the scripture here this morning is this. Jesus died on purpose to bring you to God. Would you say that with me? Jesus died on purpose. To bring you, to God. you see, Jesus did this because we needed a savior. And when Jesus died on the cross, this was not an accident. This wasn't like it didn't take God by surprise. The criminals didn't all of a sudden take Jesus over and he had no clue what was going on. He died on the cross, and he died on the cross on purpose. Look here at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Christ also suffered once for sins. Remember, he's talking about suffering. He's come through this whole thing of submission. And now he goes into suffering. And this whole context of suffering, he says, Remember, Christ suffered once for sins. And he did. And I love that because it was a final payment. Jesus did it. It says once. He did this once for sins. That's all that needed to be paid. Jesus paid for our sin once for all forever. And if there was anyone who ever suffered... For doing nothing wrong, it was Jesus Christ. Jesus did not deserve to die a criminal's death. Jesus was not a criminal. He should not have been hung on the cross according to what's fair. But Jesus ended up dying a criminal's death. He dies an excruciating death. As a matter of fact, the word excruciating comes from a Latin word that means from the cross or out of the cross. I'm sure you've used that word, man, I just had excruciating pain last night, right? I couldn't sleep. I had excruciating pain. Well, that word excruciating comes from out of the cross. So out of the cross, out of this cross, that pain was so brutal, that's exactly where we get that word from. The, uh, the crucifixion. The method of crucifixion, as I've told you before, Jesus was not the only person to ever be crucified. He was the only person to rise from the dead. Criminals were uh, persecuted by, I'm sorry, criminals were executed by the Roman crucifixion. Uh, Criminals were also persecuted by the Persians. The Persians started this in 300 B.C., 300 years before Christ arrives on the scene, the uh, Persians had started with, Roman crucif- started with crucifixion, and then the Romans pick it up, and the Romans perfect it. You see, it took days for somebody to die on the cross. It typically didn't take hours. It typically took days. The soldiers would have to come, and at the end, man, to hurry up the process, they would break the legs of the, of the, of the criminal on the cross so that they could no longer push themselves up for another breath. It was a brutal death. It was a breath of asphyxiation. Jesus died this brutal death on the cross, and he did it in this. When he says that Jesus suffered, check this out Christ suffered. He sweat drops the blood as he's praying about it. He's been in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is God the Son, and he knows that he must go to the cross. Because the Father has sent him, and that's his whole mission, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and the scriptures tell us that he sweats drops of blood. Now, there's an actual medical condition. It's known as hematidrosis, where, you can, where the capillaries, small capillaries in the forehead can break, and you can actually sweat drops of blood and sweat together. This is what happened to Jesus. It happens under intense pressure, under intense emotional condition. Uh, he endured six illegal trials. Man, they took him through the kangaroo courts. They did it overnight. He was wrongly accused. Man, they falsely accused him. They wrongly accused him. He was beaten with the, with the They It was a, a, a whip, and they took the whip, and as they beat Jesus, on the ends of the whip were... All, multiple ends to the whip, and there would be a, a bone and metal that would just dig in as they would rip, and it would just tear and shred the, shred the person apart. Jesus was beat like this. Isaiah says that he would be beaten beyond recognition. Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. It was a brutal death. It wasn't like, oh, this wonderful thing Like you want to go watch. He was beaten, he was destroyed, and then they nail him to the cross. They crucify him on Golgotha, and he pays for the sin of the world. Jesus, your Savior, suffered and died in the flesh. And folks, as much as we might suffer, I want you to catch this, we will probably never suffer like Jesus did. We will probably never suffer to the extent of Jesus did, at least not in our culture. I think you can go back and look through church history and you'll see that many, many church followers, many Christ followers did pay that price. Go look at the Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's spelled F O X E, Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you will find out that there was a tremendous amount of persecution. Many people ended up getting filleted, I mean, people became candles. For, for Roman emperors, I mean, it was just a terrible situation that people lived in. But in our lifetime, you probably aren't going to suffer as much as Jesus did. And the writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet <clears throat> resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Folks, the purpose behind suffering was that he might bring us to God. There was a, there was a veil in the temple. It was this curtain. Behind the curtain was known as the Holy of Holies. And the only people that could get behind there to the Holy of Holies would be the holiest person. So that was known as the high priest. So once a year, the high priest would make his journey behind this curtain to the Holy of Holies, and he would make an atonement for sin. But check out what Matthew chapter 27 says. When Jesus died, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. When Jesus died, it says, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Who took the temple curtain down? It was Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, and God himself shred that temple curtain and now saying there is access to God. Every human has access to God. How do you have access to God? Through Jesus Christ, Jesus died on the cross and He paid for your sin. And there's only one way to get there, and that's through Jesus Christ. And if you'll just open your heart and trust Him, you'll have a relationship with Him. Jesus opened the way to God. The very worst thing that could happen to Jesus became the very best thing that could happen. Jesus died on the cross, and he paid for our sin. It was the brutal, excruciating death. And what does it do? Jesus has a purpose. The scripture says he did this, that you might come to God. Number two this morning, we see that the resurrection of Jesus proved it is finished. The resurrection of Jesus proved it is finished. Look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins... The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirits. Folks, Jesus resurrected from the dead. Three days later, Jesus rose again, and he is ever alive. But whenever he did that, what he did was he made an explanation point to the phrase, It is finished. Look at John 19.30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. That word, it is finished, is a powerful word. It's a Greek word. It means, it's to and it means paid in full. So whenever Jesus gave his last word on the cross, before he takes his last breath, he says, It is finished to telestai, paid in full. It is complete. And then he gives up the ghost. He takes his last breath and he dies. And what he was saying was that the payment for your sin and for my sin has been paid in full. It is finished. It is complete. You know what else was finished on that day? The suffering of Jesus. Jesus suffered. Listen, to leave heaven and come to earth alone is suffering. We always talk about going to heaven. We don't ever talk about coming back from heaven, do we? There's nobody that says, I can't wait to see the streets of gold and come back and tell you about it. I can't wait to get on the street of gold. See, you don't leave the street of gold to come to a Pittsburgh pothole, do you? It's like the reverse option, right? And so this is what God's called us to do. Listen, we have heaven as our home. God himself leaves heaven, and there's the suffering begins the moment he enters into the earth. When he was born, now check this out. We're going to be talking about this coming up at Christmas here, but I'll just give you this little nugget here. Jesus was born, and they, they thought he was a illegitimate child. And in that day that was like taboo 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 taboo. Get rid of this. Don't don't you know, divorce her. Be gone. What would you do if your neighbor came to you and said, "Hey, I'm pregnant and it's God's." You would you would say, "Okay, we have a delusional person." And this is what people did. People started were, were treating him like that. As a matter of fact, you know what when Jesus was growing up, he had no. There was no, no 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 resources for him. His parents went into the temple when they dedicate him. They took the uh, the offering for the poor. And when there's provision in the in the worship. For there was those that could afford and those that couldn't afford. You got to take the turtle doves. I mean, they got to took the turtle doves. It was like this very small meager offering. He grew up in a very poor environment. I mean, he had nothing. He suffered all along the way. Jesus said that the birds have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You want to talk about loneliness, rejection, isolation? I mean, his brothers and sisters did not get along with him too well. Would you get along with your brother or sister if you thought he was God? Or if he thought he was God? You see, his brothers and sisters didn't even follow him until he rose again from the dead. That's when James really said, okay, now this all makes sense. You see, he suffered the whole time. And when he says it is finished, not only has the sacrifice been paid, but but the suffering of Jesus has been taken care of. The suffering of Jesus is finished now. And so the resurrection changes the playing field. It, ensues, it ensures eternal life. I love what Romans 8.18 says about suffering because as you put this all together and you look at the suffering of Jesus, Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Folks, as you're thinking about suffering, I want you to understand we will suffer. We will continue to suffer. But there is a glory to be revealed. There is a glory to be revealed. You see, Jesus understood this. As Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's sweating drops of blood. But he knows he has to go through the suffering. But there's a future glory that would be revealed. He knew that God would take care of the situation. And, folks, the same is true for us in our life. If you're a believer, now catch this. If you're a believer, this Earth is the closest that you will ever get to Hell. It's the closest that you'll ever get to Hell. And I'm not saying this is Hell on Earth. I'm saying this is the closest that you'll ever get to Hell. If you are not a believer, if you've not given your heart and soul to Jesus Christ, this Earth is the closest that you'll ever get to Heaven. And this Earth is certainly not Heaven on Earth. You see, heaven is so unlike any other experience that we've ever had, In the Bible tells us about heaven. As you look at this, that like heaven is going to be this incredible, incredible place. Revelation 21.4 says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When we get to heaven... God himself wipes away the tear from her eye. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And folks, as you're dealing with suffering, you can look through the suffering to the future glory, just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus did. Now, Jesus proclaims victory immediately. Uh, say that with me. Jesus proclaims victory immediately. So this is now where we're going to get into those texts that are theological. I call them the problem texts. It's really not a problem. It's just that a lot of people don't understand them. Martin Luther said this, uh, verse 19 and 20. He says, A wonderful text is this, and more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. So Martin Luther, who we celebrate with the, the, uh, the Reformation of the church, right? Uh, with the, with the with Protestant Reformation there, right? So he nailed the 95 Theses to the church door. Um, he really struggled with some of these verses, and many theologians have struggled with what was going on here. But even wherever they land on whatever verse 19 and 20 is in particular about, it doesn't change the outcome that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Amen? So let's have a little bit of fun here. Jesus proclaims victory immediately. Being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now check this out. When Jesus died... They killed his body, but they did not kill his spirit. His body was dead, but Jesus was still alive. Take that, Satan. And let me tell you, when you die, your body will die, and your spirit will still be alive, either in heaven or in hell. There's no option. There's no other place in between. It's heaven or hell. The Apostle Paul said, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no other option. It's heaven or hell. And you get to decide that by trusting Jesus now as your Lord and Savior. And if you'll do that before, you're, before you, the day you die, you have a home in heaven because of who Jesus Christ is. Amen? Amen. Now check this out. When Jesus dies... It says, in which he proclaimed, uh, he was made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Verse 20, because they formally did not obey what God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So check this out. I could take three weeks on this two verses. But I'm just going to give you a high-level synopsis. Jesus' spirit is alive, and he is well. He's not yet ascended into heaven at this point. We know that because whenever he makes his physical appearance, what's he say? He says, Mary, don't touch me because I have not yet ascended into heaven yet. So what has he done in those three days? Well, it says that he went to the spirits, to these, and we're going to call them the evil spirits. um, Because they formerly did not obey. There's an illusion here. Back to Genesis chapter 6, where the sons of God got together with the daughters of men. And the whole thing, and we talked about this several months ago, the sons of God being the fallen angels. You see, when Satan fell, Satan wanted to be higher than God. When Satan fell, he took about a third of the angels with him. So there's, there's, this, there's hundreds and hundreds of a spirit world. And, folks, I want to I tell you this today. There is a spirit world still today. There are angels and demons fighting right now. I mean, if we could see what is happening in the atmosphere around us, I think we would be blown away. There are angels, there are demons all over the place, but there's nothing for us to fear because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Amen? So God never told us to be afraid of them. I just don't go out calling on them. We're not supposed to do that. We call on who? Jesus. And so as we go out and we call on the name of Jesus and we live victoriously in the name of Jesus, look what Jesus did there. It says he went to and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Some translations use the word preach there, and preach is not the best translation of the word. It's really proclaim. Jesus didn't go to hell and say, hey, if you want to get out, come on out now. Just trust me. Once you have left this earth, it is too late to make that decision. You know what Jesus did? I call it the victory lap. He went on the victory lap. All those... Remember, God had made a way. He put Noah... said, Noah, I want you to build this ark. Noah, this world has gotten really wicked and evil. The sons of God, the daughters of men, this whole... Creation. It was nasty. Procreation of this crazy race. And he says, "No, I want you to build this ark and keep preaching that anybody can come into the ark. I'm going to flood the earth. Whoever's in there will be saved from the flood. And so Noah builds it. He goes out and he starts getting the wood. Now, I imagine there was no planing mills. He has to go out and he has to put this together. He starts building the ark, building the ark, building the ark. You know how long it took Noah and his family to build the ark? 120 years. For 120 years, everybody had an option. In 120 years, not one convert. Doesn't make me too, feel too bad sometimes, does it? Sometimes I feel like I'm spinning my wheels at the church. Hey, why aren't more people coming to God? Well, if Noah could preach for 120 years and nobody came to God, I don't feel too bad. Listen, he preached 120 years and nobody but his family got in that boat. And so there was all these demons that had been locked up since that time. And Jesus goes and takes a victory lap to this spirit world. And I could just see him. I could just see those demons saying, man, we're having a party. We killed him. We got it. It's good Friday. It's over. It's done. And then Jesus shows up in the spirit world and says, uh-huh. You thought it was over, didn't you? Read my lips. It is finished. Read my lips to tell us die. Oh, but we killed you. Oh, wait. Three days. Sunday's coming, my man. Go ahead and make my day. See, that's my version. That's the Ken Borner translation, okay? Okay. <laughs> But let me tell you, it was a victory lap. Jesus went on a victory lap, and he declares victory. And listen, Jesus is victorious over the spirit world, my friends. There's nothing to be afraid of. We are not to be messing around and calling up evil spirits. No, we are to have victory over them. Amen? Amen. And folks, listen, if you're dabbling with any of that stuff, walk away from it and walk right to Jesus. Because as you walk with Jesus, you will find more power than you've ever had. Jesus has more power in one sentence than Satan has in every sentence. Man, oh day, God has got everything that you need. And I want to encourage you to go out and live in victory. Though you are suffering, live in victory. So during that three days, this is what happened. Jesus took his victory lap in the spirit realm. Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds... Now, this is the other one. I'm just going to briefly hit this. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism, and then Peter stops. He says, not as a removal of dirt from the body. Listen. Baptism, in the way he says it, you are going to understand this, the translation looks like, oh, baptism gets you saved. That's not what he's trying to say here. He's saying baptism, which corresponds to the flood. What happened in the flood? Eight people were saved by the flood. Why? The earth was so wicked, so so terrible, God should have destroyed everybody, but he sent a flood and he gave a way of escape and he made the ark and he says, Jump into the ark. Eight receive him and go through the ark. So the water did not save those eight people. The water destroyed everything. The water did not save. God saved. And he says, and so this is in theology. I'm going to give you a little theological lesson here today, okay? And you can just forget it, so it's all right. But it's, it means, theologians call this a type and an anti-type. As a matter of fact, if you have the New King James Version... Right there it says, and this is the antitype." See, there's the type in the Old Testament. The flood came, and then there was new life. The water, and then a new life. And he says to us, baptism, the antitype. the water came, and new life. Baptism is the outward sign of the inward decision. We must look at what the Bible teaches on a subject completely. We never take one verse and make a whole th- deal out of it. We have to look at what does the Bible teach about everything. So we look at it, and what does the Bible teach about this? The Bible teaches that there's one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. When you, uh, when you trust him, that's how you become a child of God. That's how you get into heaven. But baptism does not get you into heaven. Baptism gets you wet. Remember that. Baptism merely gets you wet. We have a young lady who's going to get baptized this morning. She's getting baptized to show you that she is a believer, and it's her outward sign that she is going to heaven. It's her outward sign that Jesus is her Lord. That water is about 89 degrees back there. It, at least we hope it is for that girl's sake, right? And, uh, and it's going to be a wonderful celebration of her faith in Jesus Christ. It's the wedding ring, and I've told you this before. Baptism is like a wedding ring. Man this 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 ring you can look at this and you say wow he's married I know look I'm taken but this ring is not my marriage this ring is not my marriage and it's just an outward sign that shows you my inward commitment till death do us part and so I want to encourage you today to know to be assured of baptism As uh, as he talks in the scripture there, made alive in the spirit, Jesus proclaimed victory. And then as we jump ahead to our fourth point in our notes this morning, the, the scripture says Jesus is reigning in power. Oh, this is so good. Jesus is reigning in power. Verse 22, who has gone? Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him man Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Do you know what the right hand of God is? That's the place of prestige. It's the place of power. Jesus is sitting before the right hand of God the Father. Now check this out Romans chapter 2 verse 9 through 11 says this says therefore God who also has highly exalted him Jesus and given him the name which is is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, one day every human who's ever lived will bow down and confess that Jesus is Lord. It says, every. That means that some will be doing that in eternity with God in heaven. And sadly, some will be doing that in eternity in hell. And folks, I want to encourage you to confess Jesus as Lord today. Confess that he is Lord, that he is God, and that he is worthy of all. And don't wait until it's too late. Don't go into a Christless eternity where you will eventually say Jesus is Lord. Man, the person who's the farthest away, the biggest enemy of Jesus right now. Do you realize what's going to happen according to that verse? One day in eternity, the they will be crying out to God and saying, Lord, you, Jesus, you are Lord. And it will be too late. God has given you options. He's given you chance after chance after chance to come to Jesus while you're here. He rises the sun every morning. He's made creation. And you go to creation and say, Oh, there couldn't be a creator. And you reject Him from the very revelation that He gives. And so God keeps giving us this creation. He keeps giving us the revelation. And God is screaming loud and clear, Come unto Me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just simply trust your life into my hands, and I will give you eternal life. And folks, that's what happens when you confess that Jesus is Lord. And I want to encourage you to do that today. Folks, Jesus' suffering will eventually eventually lead to glory. The suffering of Jesus eventually led to glory, and so will yours. I want you to think about this. When Jesus was going to the cross, sweating drops of blood, been beat, been ripped, been shred. He goes to the cross, and all he can see, he could call down thousands of angels. They were all at his disposal, but he didn't. What's he do? He looks through all that suffering. He sees Phil. He sees John. He sees Joe. He sees George, he sees Sally, he sees Mary, he sees Susie, he sees Loretta, and he sees each one of us. And look what the scripture says, looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God looked, Jesus looked through the suffering and shame to see you. You are the joy. And folks, I want you to catch this. Your suffering will eventually lead to glory. Look through the suffering to that glory of the Lord God Almighty. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed as we prepare to sing this morning and uh, and then go to the Lord through baptism, this morning, I want to I ask you today if you will just open your heart to Jesus. I know I've given a strong message today because God's Word is very strong. If eternity didn't matter, I wouldn't be so, so passionate. But eternity does matter, and so does your soul. And that's why Jesus went to the cross, and he paid the price so that you might have eternal life. So I'm going to invite you to trust Jesus Christ this morning. If you'll call on the Lord this morning and just pray unto him and invite him as your Lord and Savior. And just pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I come before you and I need you. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And God, I invite you into my heart and soul right now. I trust you with everything I have. I confess today that Jesus is Lord. And for others in this place today, maybe you're struggling with the whole issue of suffering. Maybe the suffering has been overwhelming. I want to encourage you today. Would you look through the suffering and search for the future glory? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing, as we prepare for our closing song. Uh, as we prepare for the closing baptism. But this song, it, it just lists everything that we believe. It's what Peter was doing. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. Good morning, everybody. So today we have a high schooler who would like to get baptized. Can you guys uh, yeah. join me in welcoming Elijah Baker to the baptistry? Here, come. Here, stay on this side. Awesome. There you go. So she's been coming to our youth group for uh, a good amount now. And so I've gotten the privilege to get to know her over uh, my time here. And so, Elijah, I have one question for you. Have you accepted Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior? Yes. Yes. So upon that, here, stand like this. So upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Alright, was the water 83 degrees? Uh, it, was, it felt pretty good. There you go. Hey, that's, a, that's exciting. We're so thankful for great parents in the church who are raising their kids to honor and love the Lord. And uh, we're so thankful for Elijah her uh, her step of obedience and following Jesus. Amen? Amen? So if you'd like to be baptized, please let us know. We'd love to have you get baptized as well if you're ready to follow the Lord with that outward sign of the inward commitment. Let's all stand together and be dismissed. I want to encourage you to greet those around you. Have a great weekend.